invite you to turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. We're in the, in the book of Nehemiah. If you don't know much about it, it, it is the book, the, the accounting of how God used a man to radically impact and help the broken and the burn in his life. And we're looking at Nehemiah not just to understand the history of God's work, but we're looking at Nehemiah because our world needs Nehemiahs today. Our world, our country, our city, this church, the community that you live in, the street that you live on, needs men and women who will be in our day, in our place where God has planted you like Nehemiah was in his day. Let me explain if you're not sure what that means. Nehemiah, as you turn there in your Bible, it's only in the middle of your Old Testament, but it actually is accounting the end of the Old Testament story. In narrative sense, it's the end of the Old Testament. There's going to be 400 years that's not recorded in Scripture, and then Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus in Matthew. And it's only halfway through your Old Testament because after everything that happens after Nehemiah in terms of what the way your Bible is put together uh, is filling in the gaps before Nehemiah. So when Nehemiah comes on the scene, Israel is past its pinnacle. It was a great nation under Solomon and the world looked to Israel and the wisdom and the wealth that God had blessed them with. But with evil kings, they deteriorated. And Assyria came and destroyed the 10 tribes of the north. And then Babylon came and destroyed the two tribes of Judah to the south so that the nation of Israel was broken and burned. They were in captivity. There was only a remnant that was remaining. And a man named Zerubbabel came and, and led a rebuilding of the temple back in Jerusalem. Not anywhere close to the glory that it had been, but it was restored. But the city itself was in great distress because Nehemiah hears, and Nehemiah is a thousand miles away in Susa, the capital of Persia. He hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are burned. In other words, there is no protection. They are at the mercy, if you will, of whatever others wanted to do to them. And so it says the people were in great distress. And when Nehemiah hears those words, Nehemiah 1.4 says that I sat down, this is Nehemiah writing, he says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And that's important because we said, as in Nehemiah's day, there was the people in distress because of the, what was true, that the walls were broken and the gates were burned, that if people who are broken in our day, listen, and people who are burned in our day, if they're gonna be restored, if they're gonna be helped, then it's gonna begin by us, you and I, being broken about what is robbing God of his glory in this day. Jerusalem in its condition was robbing God of the glory that he deserved. And so if you weren't here two weeks ago, we invited you to come up and, and to write that which was robbing God of his glory in your life and what broke your heart and, and to write. And we have this pile of rubble here of brokenness, of child sex trafficking, of orphans, of abortion, of a lost friend specifically in this situation named Ryan. The lonely in our world and, and there are a pile here of different things that breaks your heart that robs God of his glory. And this is important because nothing changes 
Are you listening? Nothing is going to change in our world until there's brokenness in our own heart for what's broken in this world. And so we invited you to come up. And, and, and I know many of you, and I said this, if you're not sure what you want to, uh, what you're going to write down, just stay in your seat and pray. And so we have kept extra, if you will, rubble on the side with markers for you as an opportunity to go, I'm going to name it. You may go, oh, what's the point of naming it? Nothing's going to change until you identify it. This whole study of Nehemiah is going to be much more real and personal to you if, if you will go, when we think about the walls and what Nehemiah did, I'm thinking about my neighbor, or I'm thinking about orphans, or I'm thinking about abortion, or I'm thinking about the lost on my street. Or I'm thinking about the broken marriages around me. See, when we think specifically about brokenness and we begin to do what? He didn't just sit down and weep. He sat down and he wept and he mourned and then he was fasting and, and praying. See, what do we pray about? We pray about what we care about. And so it's, it's about starting with naming it. So I appreciate it. Thursday night, a couple of folks after uh, the service came up, grabbed and wrote down and added it to the rubble because this is the continued work of God. I want to encourage you again. If you haven't named something that's broken in the world that, that you are saying, Lord, That's distressing to me. That's something on my heart that causes me to mourn. That's something that I am praying about, that you would take that first step because it begins by being broken and becoming prayerful. And then, and then not just praying in general, but saying, all right, what am I specifically asking the Lord for. In other words, here's another one. This one says widows and needy. If that's something that's on your heart, what are you specifically praying for, for widows? What are you specifically praying for as it relates to orphans, the lonely, sex trafficking? Because Nehemiah prayed something specific if you have your Bible open, look at verse 11. He, he had prayed as Tony went through the prayer last week based on the person of God and the promises of God and the purity of his own heart. But then he gets very specific at the end of the prayer. Listen to, he starts again pretty general. Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And now he gets specific. And make your servant successful when that's pretty specific right lord make your servant successful today well well, how by granting him compassion before this man very specific Uh, lord success today with this particular individual now who's he speaking about this man well In case you're not sure, he identifies. Now, as cupbearer to the king. So what's he asking? Lord, the walls and the gates in Jerusalem are in disrepair. They need restored. Use me. Make me successful today by granting me favor, compassion with this man, the king, who can do something about it. You see how specific the prayer is? Let me encourage you, as you pray for what's broken in this world, get specific. Don't just pray for your street. Pray for like the person by name. And what are you asking the Lord for? Widows in general, or maybe you know three specifically. As Nehemiah prays specifically, success today, you go into chapter two, And look what happens. Chapter 2, verse 2. Why is your face sad, though you're not sick? Who's saying that? The king says to Nehemiah, you're not sick, but you look sick. (laughs) What's up? 
And Nehemiah's answer, next verse, verse three is, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? That's why I'm sick. Not physically sick, but my heart is sick for the condition of Jerusalem and it's coming out on my face. And you know what the king says? Get over it and do your job. No, he doesn't. (laughs) What's he say, verse four, what's he say? What do you need? That's what kings always say. Hey, what do you need? No, maybe successful today. Well, what do you need? We'll look at this more specifically next week. But Nehemiah goes, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you, uh, send me to Judah. I need a sabbatical. (laughs) Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. And the king goes, you're crazy, dude. Well, he says, go for it. Isn't that what happens in your life? You pray specifically, Lord, do this today, and then it, people say stuff you didn't, isn't that the way it, prayer works in your life? You think, mmm, mmm, not so much. Hey, I got good news for you. That's not the way it worked in Nehemiah's life either. You see, here's something weird. Because we read the way we read it in the text, it's like, man, he's broken, he's weeping, so he prays, and and then the next day he walks in, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Man, my life doesn't work that way. It actually didn't work that way for Nehemiah. Look at verse one of chapter two. And what do we learn in verse one of chapter two that tells us it didn't work that way? (laughs) You're like, "Uh, I don't know. It says, and it came about in the month, Nisan, not Toyota, Nisan. It came about in the month, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Why does that matter? It matters for this, don't miss. Because if you go back to chapter one, what year was it then? 20th year, what month was it? Chislev. And here's the problem. You and I have no idea what Hebrew months are. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's the 20th year, it's the 20th year. But what if it would have said in December and then in March? And you would have been able to realize that what's happening here is what had Nehemiah prayed? Lord, make me successful when? Today. What, when did he pray that? In Chislev or Nisan? <laughs> Seems like he prayed it in Chislev. And what God do in Chislev? Nothing. What did he do the next month? Nothing. And, and Nehemiah is praying what? Make me successful today. And then he went to work and nothing happened. And then the next day, Lord made me successful today. And what happened? Nothing. Now you're like, okay, now that's my prayer life. (laughs) Now, now I'm with Nehemiah. I asked the Lord, do something today. And then nothing. Give me an opportunity with my neighbor and nothing. Give me an opportunity with my boss. Nothing. For how long? The time between Nehemiah beginning to pray and God answering prayer is four months. And it would seem that for four months, from when he first sat down and mourned and prayed, Lord, make me successful today. For months, Nehemiah is praying daily, and God is seemingly doing what? Nothing. Come on, Lord. <laughs> See, the text, I, I am, I'm making a point here because we read our Bibles and we miss oftentimes the real life in it. 
And then we bring our lives alongside of it, and we feel the real life of praying and praying and praying. Lord, do this. Lord, do this. Lord, you know, this is for your glory. Work. This is for your. This is not. And nothing. And what do we do? Well, many of us go, well, we stop praying. Ever been like really energized to pray something for the glory of God? And, and then it was like, ah. Uh, you know, I was really on that. And then God did Zippo. So it just didn't seem like it was working. We miss it because we know the end of the story. But catch this. Nehemiah, for four months, as he's praying, make me successful today, Nehemiah has no idea if actually God will use him. So we go, if you knew, hey, just pray every day for four months, and then God's going to work, you go, I can do it. But what if you don't ever know if God is going to actually use you? What if his plan is not to make you successful in that way? Maybe you're just going to do your job the rest of your life, and God's going to choose somebody else to restore. Well, I'd like to know that, so then I wouldn't need to pray anymore. See, we get, we get lost in the middle of the story, and it sounds neat and clean at the end of the story, but life isn't like that. You and I get to live life without knowing the specifics of the end of the story. And Nehemiah is exceedingly helpful for us because he demonstrates what it is. Keep praying until one day, what the Lord do? He made him successful. One day, the king went, why are you so sad? And he doesn't say this, but maybe, maybe he was like, well, because I've been asking the Lord to do something, and he's doing squat. He's not doing anything, but you can't say that to the king. He gives, us, he gives us a great picture into when you're asking, but God is not answering. And every single one of us have had that experience. Asking, but not answering. It's not always the experience, but we've all had this experience. Asking, but it's seeming like it's like dead on the other end. It's like you got put on hold. You're like, uh, how long am I going to be on hold? Don't you wonder, if they're going to pick up in 60 seconds, I'll keep going. But if they're not, <laughs> you know, at some point you give up. Anybody you put on hold and then you gave up, hung up? How many? Okay. So now you know what I'm talking about. That's what you feel like when you're praying and God's not answering. It's like, how long is the music going to play? So what do you do? Some scripture will go outside in Nehemiah. To answer this question, when you're asking, but God's not answering. Brother of Jesus, James, gives us some good input here. First, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. So in other words, some of you may go, well, you know, I'm mourning, I'm broken about child sex trafficking. But you're actually not even praying about it. You can say, you know, I could say I care about my neighbor and the fact that he's going to hell, but do I actually ever pray about it? Maybe the Lord's not working because actually you've thought about asking, you've talked about asking, you've considered asking, but you've never actually asked the Lord to do something specific. You would like it, it'd be nice, but you've never asked the Lord to do something specific. That may be the beginning point for you this morning. I know I should pray. I know it's a good thing to pray. And I'd like it to be different, but I actually never ask. I want to encourage you. You hear? What are you going to specifically ask the Lord to do to change that's robbing him of his glory? James continues, next verse, you ask and you don't receive, so 
Okay, you didn't get received because you didn't ask, but and then you did ask, you didn't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. God's no may be a purifying of my selfish motive. It's very possible to want to do good things for selfish reasons. Right? We might pray for our kids. But the Lord may work it out, reveal that we're praying for our kids to turn out because we think that's the report card on my life. I want my kids to turn out because that will make my life better. I want my kids to turn out because that will make me look good. And if they don't walk with the Lord, then people are going to go, they must have done something wrong. You ever pray for good things but realize... That was really more about me than it was about the Lord or them. That's possible. So, if the, very practical. If you're asking the Lord and he's not answering, you ought to ask yourself, is there selfishness, Lord, that you are exposing in my heart? Purify me of my selfishness. James also said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask, how? In faith, without any doubting. Why? For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It may not be that it is a selfish motive, but the Lord may be saying no to what I am asking because he is exposing a double-mindedness. He does not give, he says, to the double-minded. He does not give to those who ask for selfish reasons, and he does not give to those who are double-minded. Now, uh, let me hopefully, helpfully for you, unpack what's it mean to be double-minded. He says, those who ask in faith will receive. Those who ask doubting won't. It reve- the doubting reveals a double-mindedness. For years, I didn't really get this passage because I thought, well, my doubting is, well, I think the Lord will answer, but I'm not sure he will. I don't think that's the doubting. The doubting is not in whether he will answer or not. The doubting will be in what I think about his answer. In other words, have we ever sought the Lord to give us wisdom, and then he gave us wisdom, and then we went, mm, I'm not sure that's a good one. Yes. Lord, I'm not really sure to do about this relationship, this person sending us me. What do you want me to do? Oh, I want you to go and... Uh, Speak to them privately. Mm, I think I should email Doug instead. (laughs) Seriously. We ask the Lord for wisdom, but he knows, watch. You've seen this before, but this is double-mindedness. We're not here. We're here. Lord, I'd like to hear what you think so that I consider, can consider if it's a good idea or not. Now, we don't ever really say God has bad ideas. We say it more like this. I know the Bible says, but I tend to think, or it seems to me, there are, or here is, this is much more real in our day. I know the Bible says this, but I feel... And then it's something different. You know what the Lord calls us that? The Lord calls that double-mindedness. You're doubting his wisdom. 
Here's my encouragement to me and to you. Who's he say he gives generously to? Those who ask in faith. Here's faith. Hear it and then I encourage you, this would be worth remembering. Faith is this. Lord, you have my yes before I have your answer. That's faith. Lord, I'd like to hear the answer before you have my yes. No, that's not faith. Lord, you have my yes before I have your answer. What's the Lord say to that? I give generously to the man or the woman who says, yes, Lord, before we get his answer. That's faith. That is, that's right here. Living under the authority of the truth of God. So the Lord may be exposing a double-mindedness in us. So what do you do? You say, Lord, first, I confess this has been for selfish reasons. I want it to be about you and your glory. That's number one. Second, Lord, if I think my wisdom is more than yours, I repent. It really isn't what you say versus what I feel. It's just what you say. I begin to pray that way. Lord, what you say, as you lead, you have my yes before I have your answer. That's asking in faith. When I heard these words, Nehemiah said, broken, I heard about the rubble. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting. Did it occur to you, any of you, that you went, you guys talked about mourning, and you've talked about praying, but you didn't say anything about fasting. Did that occur to anybody? I hope so. Hey, what about fasting? Ah, that would be like inconvenient. Well, you go, I don't know what. What is fasting? I think actually we should ask ourselves if we're asking and the Lord is not answering, should I consider fasting? Has no being be a prompt to fast? If you're not sure what fasting is, here's what fasting is. Fasting is to abstain from some or all kinds of food or drink for a period of time. So I'm going to give up some type of food, some type of drink, or all types of food, all types of drink, for a specific period of time. That's what fasting is. Now, <clears throat> that's what fasting is in the scripture. Pretty popular in our day to go, well, I, I'm fasting from social media, or I'm fasting from Netflix, which nothing wrong with that, except if I lay Netflix alongside food and water, mm, I mean, Netflix is a far greater necessity. <laughs> no, yeah. We in our present day tend to think, let me think of something extra in my life and maybe I'll cut that out. But that's not what fasting in the Bible was. Fasting in the Bible was, I'm going to take a necessity in life, not an extra. And I'm going to abstain. Now, did Nehemiah abstain from all drink for 40 days? No, no, he would have been no more Maya. He would not have been Nehemiah. He would have been no more Maya. He, he wouldn't have been able to survive. 
So it doesn't tell us what he fasted from or actually how long he fasted. So why did he fast? It doesn't tell us specifically why he fasted, but this is not a corporate fast. And by the way, if you think, oh man, Doug is leading to, we're going to, you know, before we walk out, he's going to say, we're not drinking coffee anymore, something like that. I'm not. I'm not. Nehemiah 9, there's a corporate fast. We may talk about what we would do corporately then. This is a personal fast. Why? Because Nehemiah is mourning. Nehemiah is broken. Nehemiah is repentant, we see in his prayer. And prayer and fasting often is connected in times of mourning and brokenness and repentance. But it's not practiced a lot in our current day, unless it's like a diet. And Nehemiah was not on a diet. He was on a a spiritual pursuit. So that's his Old Testament example. What did Jesus say about fasting? He says this, whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Is that a command to fast? (laughs) It's an assumption you fast. So I want to be accurate to the Scripture. The Scripture does not, in the New Testament, say, thou shalt fast. But Jesus gives instruction assuming we will fast. And his point, assuming you fast, is what? Don't do it to be noticed by by man. Do it to be noticed by... Now, do you agree with that? Do it to be noticed by the Lord. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father. What does fasting say to our Father? Your priorities are important to me. Your glory is important to me. Truth and purity is important to me. Fasting brings a level of seriousness that is, it's hard for us because we can think about fasting of something like, not extra in our life, but core to our life and go, ugh, that would be hard. Let me pick something easier. I'm just, honestly, We tend to go, I want to do this, but I don't want to make it hard. So how do I figure this out? (laughs) But the reality is fasting brings a seriousness to spiritual things. I think sometimes, here's what I've had to wrestle with. Am I fasting in order to get leverage with God? You know, like if I Stop eating this, Lord. Will you do what I'm asking you to do? Because if you will, then, then this will be worth it. <laughs> now you go. Oh, you think that? Yes, I think that, and plenty of you have thought that as well. In fact, if you were convinced it gave you leverage with the Lord, you would do it to get what you wanted. And you see what start, the Lord starts to work in our hearts here? So hear me clearly. 
Fasting is not about us getting leverage with God. Fasting is about inviting the Lord to have leverage in our life. That our desire for him would exceed any and every other desire. It's bringing my desires, even for basic necessities, under my deepest desire for the Lord. There's a seriousness in Nehemiah that causes him not just to sit down, weep, mourn, and pray day after day after day after day after day, but to say, I am going to mourn in my fasting because I'm hungry for God. That's what I hope you'll remember. I'm fasting because I'm hungry for God. And God has built us so that our hunger reminds us, you're hungry. And instead of eating, I'm going to pray. I'm going to cry out to God. Lord, when my stomach rumbles, it'll be the reminder, make me successful today. Grant me compassion before that man. It focuses us on the Lord and it focuses us in prayer. <clears throat> I'm not mandating that we fast. I'm reminding us, Jesus assumes we will. And in fact, I think it's interesting that when you get into the book of Acts and the church is beginning to expand, we find this in Acts 13. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so who's the they? These are the leaders of the church in Antioch. And they're fasting together. And in their fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Let me make this very simple for you. The great missionary movement that began in the book of Acts of the gospel going to the ends of the earth began out of a time of fasting and prayer. I don't think we should miss that. Especially when you marry that to, when did Jesus, after 30 years of living, begin his public ministry? After a time of 40 days of fasting and prayer. I don't think we should miss that great works of God to the rubble in our world may begin with the seriousness of our own hearts to fast and to pray. Not because we're gaining leverage with God, but because we are hungry for God and the glory of God. So I would encourage you, ask yourself, is there a time, is this a work of God in my heart calling me to fast? Fourth, his no may be a not yet. His no may be a not yet. What's the challenge with that? I never really know. Is this a no or is this a not yet? So how do we know if it's a not yet? We keep on, we keep on asking. Make me successful today. 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 All right, forget it. No, today. <laughs> but that's what happens. 
I know I'm moved by something. It breaks my heart. And so I pray, Lord, heal, Lord, heal, Lord, heal, Lord, heal. All right, Lord. Lord, save, Lord, save, Lord, save. All right, Lord. Can I encourage? Let's be persistent. Let's keep knocking. Because the Lord has not answered yet does not mean that he won't. It simply means not yet. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Is prayer the work of the Lord? See, sometimes, I want us to get this. Sometimes we think, no, we pray about then doing the work of the Lord. Prayer is the work of the Lord. Look at the life of Jesus and his continual devotion to pray. Look at the life of Jesus and encouragement to the disciples to pray, to pray, to ask in my name, to ask in my name. So let's be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, Nehemiah could have stopped at three months and went, I gave it a good shot. Obviously, the Lord doesn't want to use me. But what we get the privilege of seeing is that one day he said, Lord, make me successful today. And then he, he was. The Lord worked in a way that he had not for months. The Lord chose to work in that day. So let's be persistent in our prayers. Fifth, his no may be a different path for greater glory. His no may be a different path to greater, for greater glory. Remember the man whose daughter was sick? He wanted to get to Jesus, and this other woman just kept holding him up, and he was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. She finally gets Jesus' attention, and then what happens? His servant says, it's too late. The do- your daughter has died. And Jesus says, don't fear, only believe. And they get back to the house And he didn't heal a sick daughter. He raised a dead daughter. Would you call that greater glory? Huh? Yeah, I would. I would. And and I'm reminded a despairing father discovered the Lord knows the greatest path. A despairing father discovered the Lord knows the greater path. Paul discovered the greater path. When he had his thorn in the flesh, he said, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Lord, take it away today. Take it away today. Take it away today. Take it away today. Now, I'm actually going to make you strong today, make you strong today, make you strong today. There was greater glory in the strengthening of each day than the taking away of the weakness one day. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. His no may be There's a different path for greater glory. So if you haven't written something down yet, I want to encourage you to do so. All right? Why? 
Because the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro through the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Did you hear that? Listen to this for your heart now. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro through the whole earth that he may strongly support whom? Those whose heart is completely is. That's the rest of the story of Nehemiah. The Lord strongly supporting him. It begins with a heart that's his. What? That's broken over what breaks the heart of God, what robs God of his glory. It's a heart that is prayerful, that asks and keeps on asking. So what is it? Nothing changes until we begin to ask the Lord specifically to work in a specific way. I want you to bow with me. And maybe... Maybe you're experiencing, you've been asking, and the Lord's been saying nothing. So let's go through the process. Invite him to purify your motive, to reveal if there's selfish motive. Next, would you say, Lord, as I ask you to work, you have my yes before I have your answer. Declare that to him by faith. You have my yes. Now asking, Lord, are you prompting me to fast? From what? For how long? Lord, increase our hunger for you and for your glory. Would you commit yourself in this moment to be steadfast, to keep on asking? and relinquish now your way. Lord, this is what it seems to me, but Lord, I invite whatever way in which you want to work for your glory, I'm available. I trust you. Father, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are a faithful provider. And thank you that you are still in the work of restoring the broken and the burned. You are still the work of slaying giants. You're a great God. We want to be used by you. Let's stand and declare this to the Lord, what we believe in him as our faithful father.
hey, that informs our prayers. And as we're persistent in our prayers, I want to, I'd invite you to, this is something that's been really helpful in my life, is you invite other people to, to pray with you, to join in with you in your persistent prayers and see how the Lord will work. And if you need someone to pray with you right now, maybe feel lonely in your prayers, we've got men and women who are available to pray with you personally after each service. Uh, just between the auditoriums. I hope you'll take advantage of that. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next time.